Festival Special. So it is our refreshing podcast and I'm joined by two blokes from Atlanta. So it is now six o'clock UK time. I know, am I right in saying, Nick and Brian, are you sort of Atlanta based? Is that still right? We have actually not been Atlanta based since we were 18 years old, but we we (laughs) were born and, and raised there. But now we're primarily LA based. I'm currently in New York. And Brian is in L.A. at the moment. That's right. Which is why Brian is slightly just waking up the new Nick. (laughs) So it's 10 a.m. here, which for me is about a 7 a.m. Brian doesn't have a a too strong uh, defense. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we have a sketch on the Internet called The Morning Routine. That's kind of a fan favorite where Nick's trying to wake me up in the morning and I just can't do it. And Nick has always called it the part I was born to play. I do feel when I watch yeah. that sketch, I'm like, I wasn't acting here. I just, this was just me. I was just doing what I do. The morning that we filmed that sketch, you know, I had to, I went to Brian's place at 8 a.m. to like get set up for it. And Brian was asleep and the, the sketch just happened essentially where I was like, get up, wake up. And I was like, give me five minutes. Let me just, I'll promise five minutes. And Nick's like, you're doing the lines from the sketch we're going to shoot in an hour in real life now. I should just film this. It was probably one of those where it's the best you've ever done and it was the least hassle for anyone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's the perfect intro because Nick and Brian form Britannic. I know you guys have probably worked together for the best part of 15 years as the Britannic Act, fusing together the name based on the very successful ish boat the titanic i imagine it lends itself brilliantly well to a sketch and i'm just going to leave that one there but i'll I'll touch on that in a little bit later but you might know where i'm going to go with that Um, but britannic is described and i seen it at the fringe festival last year you guys are returning to edinburgh on the 21st of the 26th of august at the assembly george square last year was a huge success it's quite hard to kind of sum up what Britannic is. And I know during the course of this interview, a lot of that will be pieced together. But in essence, it's one hour of mucking about, I think is a first summary. I think a few people have said that. <laughs> yeah, that's a very clinical description. There. Via you guys being brilliant friends on stage. And it can take any kind of form of sketch. The opening segment last year was one of you pretending to be a ghost and then we ended up in a fart museum at one stage there was a 9-11 sketch it is utter farce and Nick if I come to you first do you want to try and sort of debug some of that farce (laughs) and give us a bit of a a background to Britannic I I mean I will say I don't want to give any more details than that that there's a fart museum a 9-11 sketch The ghost sketch. There's no more nuance to that. Don't don't even think twice. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's a pretty good sum up. A ghost, a fart museum, and a 9-11 sketch. It's the show. The show that we did last year was, it's an hour long, and it was, yeah, it's a bunch of different sketches that, you know, some play on, like, theatrical conventions, some play on, like, social norms, and then others are just, like, purely the stupidest, silliest thing that we could think of that makes us laugh. And then throughout the whole show, there's sort of a running narrative through line that kind of comes back at the end in a big twist ending and justifies some of our maybe raunchier, bluer, more absurd choices that we've made earlier. But I don't want to spoil it for anybody who might still yet see that because we are going to eventually film that 
that show and put it online. I was very close to you, Nick, in, in more ways than one because I found you sort of a row in front of me. You know I'm going to go with this. With hardly anything on, which was a thrill for me and more so a thrill for my wife. So she's <laughs> never quite got that uh, image out of her head because she was absolutely overjoyed. <laughs> oh, God. That's another thing to add into the description. Uh, a fart museum, a ghost sketch, a 9-11 sketch, and Nick naked crawling through the audience. That's another... Yeah, screaming and crawling <laughs> through the audience. I feel like I need to complete the set, Brian, and for this year to make a play for me with no clothes <laughs> on, I think I think then I could be able to complete the Britannic set. <laughs> yeah, the whole spectrum of responses we've gotten from that part, from people being like, I love that, too, I will never see you guys again. I'm like, all right, oh, we're coming for you. Anytime I see you, just walking the Royal Mile, <laughs> I'm coming after you. So the roots of you guys coming together stems from years of friendship and your writing skills so you guys have written for Saturday Night Live now of course there'll be many people listening to this podcast who will understand what Saturday Night Live is there'll be a couple of people from a UK audience who are not massively familiar with it just because it's something which obviously we don't get over here but to sum it up there's been so many amazing people who have written for Saturday Night Live one of the biggest shows in America I would know the Today Show and Saturday Night Live and they're just kind of the two things which would stick into my brain as well as the traditional late night shows of Conan and Jay Leno and, and those kind of heritage sort of shows what have been around for a while but so many amazing people have written for Saturday Night Live Conan as mentioned Dan Aykroyd Bill Murray Seth Meyers Larry David to name but a few you guys were in that mix and that combined with just making silly videos when you sort of put those two elements together, did you just find that it is just really easy? Do you take sort of inference from those other people in the writing room from back in the day and other ideas to kind of nail down whatever sketches that might be involving a fart museum or someone getting naked? <laughs> Do you kind of feed off the power of the room with other writers and of course with the history you guys have got when you're thinking about your sketch and your content? There's a iconic story of when Larry David wrote for SNL. He got so mad one night. He was like, I quit. I quit and just left. And then he just showed up on Monday morning and pretended like he didn't say I quit. And everyone was like, oh, I guess he didn't quit. And he just sort of kept going. So it's like when I heard that story, I was like, that's a crazy thing to do. And then when you're at SNL, you're like, I get it. I, I, I felt like that where it's like I just want to scream I quit. And the next day be like, I'm back. I'm sorry. That was this is fun. I love this. Like when you're in the the writer's room on the ninth floor, a photo of every writer who's ever written from SNL ordains the wall, including your own photo now. So it's like you're just surrounded by all these icons of comedy. And also it's the same, you know, it's in 30 Rockefeller Center in New York in the same studio it's always been. So there are marks and things left from the 70s even that like are just kind of still there. So you can like feel the spirits of all these different comedians who have come before you. Like for example – getting off one of the stages, there's a watch your head sign, and then below watch your head, scrawled into the sign, it says Farley, because Chris Farley used to bang his head on it, and that's like still there. So it's like things like that, there are little like secrets and like hidden that like have been left from comedians of yore that just like still live in the building, which is crazy. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely like tons of energy in the, the hallways of SNL. It's just like so many, so many, so many stressed writers over 40 plus years. So it's like, there's definitely like a real excitement there and there's like a deadline of like, you know, you gotta get it done all in one night. And 
you know, yeah, you're like bouncing off ideas with other people. It's it's kind of like it varies night by night. Like some week you're gonna have like a great inspiring time. You're really gonna like write a bunch of stuff and with certain people and then another week for whatever reason you're completely blocked. You're writing with like somebody you've written with before and it's just not happening. It feels like when people say if the walls could talk, but it feels like they've been talking for the best part of 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the walls would say, like, get some new jokes, guys. <laughs> also, all the writing desks are, like, the same, and, and people have, like, scratched their names into the writing desks. I think at my desk, there was, like, Tina Fey had at one point been there. Like, it said Tina. So it's, like, it's just wild to think, like, oh, wow, at this exact desk, countless other writers and performers have been, like... I'm not funny. <laughs> I'm freaking out. I quit. Well, speaking of sort of the energy of walls and everything, I just was saying just before we started recording to Brian and to yourself, Nick, in terms of the energy and the feel of Britannic at the Fringe Festival last year, you could feel the energy in the shipping container, which was the original venue and your show got so big, so many fantastic reviews that other added shows were put on in bigger venues. But either working in that small, very contained stage where there's not a lot of room, the use of props and the use of the entire four walls of that container, and to a small degree, when you're in a bigger venue, you still use the space brilliantly well. The sense of, of energy, does that come from the friendship and just come from the fact that you can read each other so brilliantly well? Yeah, I think... There's, there's two things there. One is that we, the way we've always worked with live shows is we tend to write very specifically to the space that we're going to be in. And most of our live shows have taken place at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater over our career, probably. At this point, maybe other theaters uh, have actually surpassed that. But we were always writing, you know, that had, it was a very specific stage. It had three entrances, two doors, one sort of like archway, and then two wings leading in, which is kind of standard for a lot of, of theaters. But like, you could also like climb on the ceiling and stuff like that. So we wrote like entire shows that were devoted to that space. And while this show, we didn't write specifically to the space, as we were continuing to perform it, we were finding jokes that worked. We had a whole running through line by the end of the month about how of making fun of our venue, which was a storage container on the street. And we kept calling it a box on the street lampooning that as much as we could. So like that's a big thing that we always try to do of like what is our specific space we're in, how can we use that to our advantage. And then with the the friendship, it's like thus we do kind of like, you know, we're, we're there's nobody better at charades than the two of us because we can kind of read each other's minds at this point. And because of that, on stage if something happens, if there's some idea that one of us has, we can kind of start doing it and the other person will be like, oh, I know where he's going with this and can anticipate it and support that move as much as possible. I was also gonna say, you know, we do write to spaces, but what has been fun about this show is we'd have to kind of move it from space to space. And we, you know, toured the UK a little bit with it. And so we did kind of adapt the show. We'd like, you know, show up in Manchester and see our theater 30 minutes before the show and be like, how do we make this work here? So it's like, there are ways to make it work in like a tiny black box or in a giant proscenium or something. And it was really fun to kind of like, just figure out what energy is needed for each space. But like in terms of just like making it a kinetic and like crazy show, when we started watching live comedy when we were just in college, we would get really kind of upset if groups didn't like 
rehearse or really commit. We really want to like show up on the stage and have people go like, wow, these adult men put in way too much work for this stupid shit. It's crazy because like even to this day as we're entering our late 30s, if we have one tiny little show, unpaid show that doesn't matter at all, we will ignore all of our friends and family responsibilities for a week to make sure that show is incredible, even if it's just a one-off thing that we never do again. So it's kind of a, we have a problem. Uh, but it creates for uh, energy. I think as well, you can see, and this is where I received one of your emails in regarding the Patreon and the fact that people can obviously access exclusive content if you sign up and give you guys a little bit of money. The sketch behind please subscribe and please give us a little bit of money and also for the fact that you can just have a laugh and I think that is the brilliant thing where you can go jumping around on some of the stuff which is on YouTube and of course I know some of the exclusives behind that paywall are fantastic videos and it can go from someone being in a swimming pool being in a fart museum for the sake of argument you know it's rehearsed and just picking up on the point that it's obviously maybe the responsibilities and I can imagine when the microphone is down and you know you're not maybe writing and the pens are down and you're not performing there's a few people saying come on guys I'm over here. Give me some love. Give me some respect, including your manager that uh, I seen on one of your emails. It was like, is this worth the fucking effort? (laughs) But obviously it is. And I guess creative minds like yourselves are always looking at something and can look out of a window and get an idea at any stage. We try to. I mean, yeah, there's, you know, we try to anchor our sketches in truth like that. We always say that, like maybe that was something we learned really young at UCB, but we were like, oh, if we find just a kernel of truth at the the base of our sketch we can get as weird and silly as possible and if you really watch any of our sketches they all have something that anchors them to reality even how insane they get and like so we're always kind of on the lookout for things in life that are just like a little bit out of balance like something that maybe we've noticed that other people haven't or the people aren't really talking about or just something that makes us laugh like you realize like the opportunity to find a sketch really is sitting in front of your face all the time. And so the more you do sketch comedy, the more you're kind of on a lookout for it, which can be really fun and also really annoying for a lot of people when you're (laughs) constantly trying to like create a sketch of their lives. And also with the Patreon that you mentioned, that's a really interesting thing because, you you know, if you watch these video podcasts that we do, which is, you know, basically we film ourselves talking for like 40 minutes and then Brian edits it down to like the funniest five minutes or so. I mean, it might be three minutes one episode, might be seven minutes another episode. What that is, is basically we're just talking and then following what's funny, finding the fun in that and then just like cutting it up to just those moments. So you can really see like how sketches are writing style in a, in a way because it's like that's oftentimes how we'll write is we just will get together and we'll talk for like five hours and one of us will relate some funny story of something that's happened and then it's like oh that could be a sketch like oh we could do that like this and it's like that that's like how all of our great ideas have come is just from us just trying to make each other laugh. Do you find as well with sort of inspiration from timelines on social media that you might see something which is obviously doing the rounds and you go, do you know what, actually, that could be something we could adapt? Well, so much of what's on social media, the thing about that, it's really made Saturday Night Live very difficult. It's made all the late night shows difficult because like something happens in pop culture and within one hour, 
500 different excellent jokes have been made about it and gone viral. So like even by 8 p.m. that night for like the late night shows, it's like they've missed it. It's like the news cycle's moved on. We never really did too much topical stuff, but it's really made us steer away from that and go to like think about evergreen ideas that are also because it takes so much longer to write a sketch to film the sketch and then to edit it i think we've the quickest turnaround time we've ever had is literally been 24 hours but normally it's like a month two months years sometimes it's been, I, years i mean the newest sketch we just put up we shot a year ago, so yeah, it's uh, it takes a while. But yeah, we try to find ideas that are, like Nick said, we don't really talk about things political or topical because it's just, it's so done so well by so many people. We try to find sketch ideas where we're like, no one else has done this before. And then sometimes it feels like perhaps they have, we'll do an internet search just to kind of see. But I think by the time we really get a sketch going in the writing process once we get to the end we're like this is so specifically us i can't imagine on this before. yeah it's like the core idea there might be some similar thing that's out there that we that we maybe missed we didn't see when google we're like oh that's a similar idea but it's like i guarantee you by the third beat yes. of our sketch it's gone to an insane place <laughs> that they haven't gone to i can vouch for that i'm probably almost going to answer my own question here with you guys saying it's not topical i just wanted to say in terms of the the botanic link the titanic link performing in a very small container. Is anything mm -hmm. gonna be along the lines of yeah. <laughs> a sub, if all I can say, or are we staying well clear of that, of those depths? <laughs> well, we've been doing, we've been doing live shows and we began last year's live show by saying that Britannic is a combination of the name Brian, the name Nick and the word Titanic, you know, the famously successful boat. Now the line has become for these past few shows has become like the name Brian, the name Nick and the word Titanic, a fact that didn't chill audiences to their core. But the way the news cycle moves, people will have fully moved. There'll been some new disaster that people are thinking of and they'll fully forgotten about that. So yeah. I don't know. References like just things that have happened pretty immediately. They really only last for a very small amount of time now compared to what they used to. And cause it's like, you know, you talk about something in the news like two weeks ago and people are like, what are you talking about? Oh, come on. That's old hat. And so it's like, also we're going to be, I should say at a much bigger space this year at fringe, not just in a box. So uh, we will not be in a submarine. A bigger box. <laughs> Much bigger box. Well, that's, you know, full credit to the successful run you had in 2022 to come back. Tickets, are, I assume, are selling well. You're only on for a couple of days. It isn't a month run. This year, a little bit more of a work in progress. Does that kind of give you those little avenues to go, do you know what? Yes, it's a work in progress. And you can say, actually, at the end of the Monday or the Tuesday, do you know what? Should we try and replace that? Does that need changing? Does that kind of give you the more freedom that sometimes you're, um, you're, you're blessed with by a WIP? Yeah. Big time. We had such a fun time at the Fringe. It was so, so great for our souls and very bad for our physical bodies. But it was so <laughs> energizing and it really, like we came away from it being like, oh, this is like our number one priority. You know, live performance, like this is so fun. This was such a great community to be a part of. It was so inspiring to see the other acts. So we were really wanting to come back, but we wanted to come back with a really polished show and we weren't sure if we were gonna be have the time to be able to put that into it. And so we initially were like, let's just go come back and do the old show for 
three, four days. Then that became, well, let's do three days of the old show and then we'll do some work in progress stuff. And now it's become, all right, we're gonna do a full week, completely new work in progress show. And we figured out about half of it at this point. We're doing more live shows in LA in the coming months to really like hammer out the rest of it. We feel pretty good about what we've currently got. Like I think, it, I feel very confident in saying it will be a good show, but I'm also even more confident that by the end of the run, after having done it for a week, it's gonna be like so much better. Cause yeah, every single night we're gonna be changing and tweaking things and basically figuring out what doesn't work. And that was a big thing, I think, why we had such a good run this past year at the Fringe is we really used the first three days to like figure out what wasn't working with the show, take that out and replace it with something that did. And that was also just so unique in terms of like, oh, the UK audiences don't laugh at this joke that in the US it has consistently killed. So like figuring out those little moments, it's so exciting, it's really, really fun. Like I really enjoyed that first week of The Fringe because we were like just constantly changing and trying new stuff and like finding stuff in the moment on stage. Like it, it was really it, thrilling. It should be mentioned though, this definitely is a work in progress. Like if you came to see our show last year, yes. we were seeing some sketches that were like 15 years old that we have just done a million times on stage. This year, it's not even really a sketch show. It's kind of a, we're really kind of busting the doors open of like what our show is. And we are adding in <laughs> elements of sketch and clown, which have really, we've just been around so many clowns this past year. I think they've seeped into us a little bit. And like, yeah. you know, we're trying to get a little more meta and we're trying to break the bounds of the audience. And we're, it's a little bit more fluid. It's not just sketch, sketch, sketch. So it's like, we're really trying to kind of like create something. We're gonna hopefully be surprising ourselves on stage as much as the audience. Yeah, we're very much trying something new. We're challenging ourselves and like really like doing a different form than we've ever really done before. And I think it's gonna, you know, I'm very excited about it. Like what we've been doing, it's really, really fun and exciting and yeah, but absolutely there's gonna be some moments that fail terrifically. And won't that be fun to see? <laughs> Not that I wanna ever see a performer die on their arse. I just wanna put that out there. Um, Nick, just touching with you just slightly there in terms of the fringe and of course of, of your, your lovely wife. Did you know an awful lot about the festival? Because I'm right in saying, you know, you guys, it was the debut in 2022, wasn't it? It was a chef's kiss, as the Guardian newspaper in the UK described your performance. But were you sort of surprised, oh, Nick and obviously Brian, both of you surprised of how energetic the city really is when that festival's on? 2018, I was traveling around Europe and we have a friend, her name is Natalie Palmitas. She has done some incredible friend shows. And I went to go see Nate which is now a Netflix special. And I was just there for like three days and I saw like 14 shows and I was like, this is, a, I want to do this. And I kind of started floating the idea to Nick and it was like, you know, at the time it just, we were like, okay, how do we do that? Like we, we've never done a show outside of LA or New York really. Like, so it was just sort of in the back of our minds. And then slowly we started meeting friends and accruing this crew that basically does fringe and they started kind of pushing us to do it. And then, kind of 2019, 2020, something kind of clicked in our minds. We're like, let's try this. Let's go. Having a bunch of people, we have a great group that took us to Fringe and like helped produce us. They're called Stamp Town and all of their friends. And just having that made it so much easier to give us the push to do it and also have a great time when we were there because we just had a community of people. Yeah, I knew a little bit what we we're getting into, but not yeah. really. And I specifically, the year that we were going, because we were supposed to go in 2020 and then we know sort of how that <laughs> shook out. <laughs> 
I was very reluctant, even when we were in 2022, as it was leading up to it, I was like, oh gosh, I really don't know if this is a good idea. We've like, <laughs> you know, we were working as writers and actors in LA and we had, I think, two scripts that we owed that it was like, this is gonna be a massive distraction from that. I was like, I, I, I was not at all convinced that it was the right idea. I thought like, I don't know, best case scenario, it's fun. Worst case scenario, they hate us and we just have to walk the plank of a terrible show every single night for a month. And then we did it and it was like, and so Brian was really the driving force for wanting us to do it. And I'm very, very grateful that, that he was because it was like, it's one of the best things we've ever done. I think it helped every other thing that we were doing. And and I was also surprised at how big of a Hollywood presence there actually was at the Fringe. I just thought like, oh, Hollywood, the industry in LA doesn't really pay attention to this. It's so far away. But there was people, so many people, so many industry people came to see our show that we couldn't get to come see our show in Los Angeles when it was down the street from them. Yeah, in Los Angeles, we're like, we're doing a show. And they're like, it's downtown, it's too far away. But it's like, yeah, it's like, oh, it's like Wednesday night. I can't do that. And it's like, but I, they did come in Scotland. We got like, we ended up getting two great jobs off of the people seeing our show at the fringe. So it like really that it worked out so well. I tell actors and creators in Los Angeles, cause you know, like we were saying offline, Johnny, when I was talking to you, a lot of being an actor and a writer is nothing. You just sort of wait. There's a lot of empty days. Even when you're working, there's a lot of just sort of like kind of spinning your wheels or just like waiting for notes or waiting for your thing to come out. And people get very frustrated here. And I just tell people it's like, Go to the fringe. Even if you're going to lose some money, if you're like waiting to get that spark back or feel like remember the reason why you do what you do, do it. It's like it's like going to summer camp. It's like being a kid in high school theater again. You really remember like the magic of why you perform or why you create in a way that you can sometimes lose when you work in the industry. So yeah, it's that or it'll frustrate you <laughs> to the point <laughs> that you die, that you are just like, I quit. I quit. I could I could easily a butterfly flaps its wings and we have had we have that experience. Totally. <laughs> What's known in the industry is a Larry David. I quit. Yeah, scrap yeah. the run. Yeah. Take me offline. I'm done. <laughs> but I think like in a weird way, I think some of the all the best things in this industry kind of have that possibility of, yeah, it's the highs are really high and the lows can be really low. We've got a little something in common here because not the highs and the lows, you've had far more highs and I've probably had far more lows, but I, um, I'm doing off the back of the podcast, the one which you guys are on now, we did a lot of fringe stuff last year, but this year I'm doing Edinburgh's quickest pub quiz. Oh, congrats. <laughs> so uh, I'm making my fringe debut. So guys, it's on a Monday. Uh, thank you. So thank you for the advice. I will take all of that on board. And uh, I think it should be before you guys are performing. So if you've got a day off, you might get a little email if you want to come and... Um, yeah. Where are you doing? We, it's part of the Free Fringe. So it's at a place called the Cocktail Mafia in the West End. It's literally one of my local bars. Oh, great. Just very quickly, guys, there's two things I want to make a point on here. Just going sort of to the acting side of it. Another thing we've got in common is the <laughs> fact that I know I'm right in saying you guys did voices for Cartoon Network. Is that right? Yes and no. We, we were the voice of the network. So we didn't do any cartoon characters, but we did t tell you what time the cartoon shows were on. Oh, like continuity announcing as it would be over here. Yeah, for six years. We were like, 
Coming up next on Cartoon Network, the Powerpuff Girls. We were those guys. Anyone aged, like, I don't know, now, like, 13 to 16 or something, if they just heard Brian say that, that's fully triggered some memories. Well, Brian, do you want to trigger something? Because uh, do you want to, I imagine you guys would have introduced Johnny Bravo uh, many times. Um, Do you you want to give us your best intro for Johnny Bravo? Coming up next on Cartoon Network, Johnny Bravo at 8, 7 Central, only on Cartoon Network. Check it. Oh, my God. I feel like I've gone back in time. A very good friend of mine is an actor called Mark Silk, a voice actor, who was the voice of Johnny Bravo, uh, amongst other oh, things. Oh, wow. Man, He's amazing. A, he is brilliant. What a great character. That voice is, uh, is great. He does everything. He was Bob the Builder in the US. He's done Thunderbirds and all kinds. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's been on the oh, podcast. Wow. He's uh, he's fantastic. So I will make sure he gets that clip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and yeah. just very quickly, going back to another sort of heritage, 2008, give or take, is the notes in front of me here, when you guys started performing Britannic together. Am I right in saying you opened for Robin Williams ahead of his stand-up? There's so many questions about that from someone who is a legend. It's a crazy thing. Brian, yeah, take it away. What do you want to say? I, I don't know how you sum that up, really, because that's amazing. We were seniors in college. It was our last year in college. I was 21. Nick was about to turn 22. And we had just filmed some videos, like three videos that we were just showing friends. And we were like, we want to start doing this and get on YouTube because, you know, we're about to graduate. Don't know what we're going to do with our lives. Nick submitted these videos to something called the San Francisco Sketch Fest, which is this big sketch comedy festival in America that we still do every year. And we got in and we were like, when we got into this festival, we celebrated as if we won an Academy Award. We just like. I still think no career achievement has ever really hit that high of like getting into this local sketch comedy festival. That was the benchmark. Yeah. I remember you like left me a voicemail like nearly in tears that was like, call me back. You will not believe. We just didn't even (laughs) believe people wanted to see us perform outside of our little NYU space. Anyway, we go to San Francisco and we do this show. Well, first they saw that we had filmed three videos. They watched those three videos and were like, yeah, great, come do your 20 minute live show at San Francisco Sketch Fest. And we were like, oh, we've got to write a 20 minute live show. (laughs) So we do, and we fly to San Francisco. And basically, to make a long story short, we're on this sketch show in Mill Valley, San Francisco. And basically it's a bunch of sketches, then there's sketch groups, then there's an intermission, and then we're on the second half. And our parents, they've flown out to see us in San Francisco. And Nick and I are waiting in the balcony. We were like, we saw them down there in the seats. Intermission happens. And we're like, let's go run downstairs to the green room before our parents come out so we don't see them. We don't want to see them before the show. So we're running down the stairs to the green room during intermission. And then we hear barking behind us, like a dog barking. And I was like, who brought their dog to the theater? We turn around. It ain't a dog. It's Robin Williams barking at us like, rough, rough. Come on, boys. Let's go. And we're like, what the fuck? So we run into the green room and it's just me, Nick, and Robin Williams. And he starts like eating his food. And the two of us are there like, what do we do? So finally we approach him. We're like, hi, we're Brian and Nick. We're a group called Britannic. And off he goes like, oh, Britannic, like the Titanic. And like he's just sort of like, you know, weaving his words in this way. We're just like looking at him mesmerized. And then uh, there was a point where he was like, you're performing? And we were like, yeah, we're on last. And he goes, not anymore. We're like, okay, what does that mean? I mean, I think I know what that means. So then we learned he is the surprise guest. After we do the show, he's going to come on and do like two hours. And it was amazing. He like watched us perform from the wings as we did our show. (laughs) 
He like made fun of our costumes before we went out. <laughs> then, yeah, it was very weird. Get out of here, Robin Williams. We need to perform. Stop. I'm trying to memorize lines, Robin Williams. And then afterwards, he like told us we gave him hope for the future of comedy. And things were like, it was a pretty auspicious beginning for the first show. Yeah. And it was also like, we didn't know that any of our live stuff was going to work at all. We were just like, we'd rehearsed it so much. We were just like, I don't even know if this is funny anymore. I don't find it funny anymore. And the show went great. So we'd come off stage with that high. Then Robin Williams compliments us, which like, (laughs) you know, I could have died in that moment and been happy. But then he goes on stage and does like two hours of comedy. So like everybody's now gotten more than their money's worth because they paid to see our first performance and they got like seasoned professional Robin Williams doing a tight 90 minutes. And then the next morning we posted our first sketches on the internet. It was a great 24 hours. It was probably my favorite 24 yeah. hours. Also, it was my birthday. It was Nick's birthday too. <laughs> I imagine that like in order, I think the birthday, which you know, normally birthdays are cool. That was well down yes. the list. Yeah. That I'd fully forgotten that that got swallowed in the, the process of everything. I imagine Brian, after seeing your hurry check, on one of your videos, which involves a dog. Thank you, yes. I'm glad we brought this up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. I just want to feel like I'm just talking about you guys being naked all the time. You're not on my <laughs> bedroom wall here with nothing on. But one of the sketches you've done in, in a pool, it's well worth checking out, their pool party. You do mention your hurry chest. It, maybe that could have been something you could have flashed it to, to Robin. His hand next to your hurry chest, he would have just lost a hand. There it is. <laughs> one dog sees another. <laughs> That's the two of the hairiest chests in showbiz, by the way, Robin Williams and Brian McElhaney. <laughs> if that's not on your Twitter bio, I don't know what yeah. should be. <laughs> well, guys, it's going to be fantastic. Like I said, it's very hard to sum up Britannic. I can sum it up by saying it is one of the best things I've ever seen live in person. Oh, thank you. It is fantastic. If you listen to this now, 21st to the 26th, of, if you just Google Britannic, you can get full information, book the tickets via the Fringe website or via assembly because you guys are performing in a bigger, better space in George Square this year. And of course, for Patreon as well, you can get some of these sort of unlocked fantastic sketches well worth checking out. So if you want to know what a fart museum's like, a ghost, 9-11, a horse being in a saloon, amongst other things, it will be a fantastic hour for the Fringe 2023. Guys, it's been a pleasure to chat and I wish you all the best. And uh, I've got tickets for the Wednesday night, so I will, uh, I'll make sure I, I knock on that stage door and say hello. Yeah, please do. Oh, great. That's one fewer ticket we got to sell, so that's great to hear. <laughs> well, I'm coming with the wife, so uh, yeah, that's oh, two. Oh, that's yeah. two. All right, we're cruising. I'll make sure you know who she is, so if there is a naked scene, you can just fully fully go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Point her out, and I'll, I'll crawl all over. Melissa will be made up. All right, guys. <laughs> I'll keep that bit in. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, Britannic. This <laughs> is Summer Refreshed.